Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good morning, crypto. Good morning, warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Gonzo, also known as Super G, is in the building. And we got Jenna X joining us on this Tuesday, so I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how PayPal launched their stablecoin yesterday, sounding the alarm for many crypto investors. As Ripple continues to create use cases outside of ODL, now creating a new partnership with Centigrade, unlocking the full potential of carbon credits. Citibank's closed-door meetings reveal full crypto adoption is much closer than people expect. And with the digital revolution of a lifetime already upon us, we break down the details, showing our community how American institutions are creating the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, we got a ton of great news prepared for today. And I see you got the red shirt on. So looking great, my friend. How you feeling? I got the red shirt to match the red roses over here. Where are there? They are back there. But good morning to all the warrior maniacs out there. We love and appreciate you guys. Jenna is always before Johnny, so don't ever forget that. Actually, that yeah, that's the Jenna and Johnny show. But anyway, hopefully everybody's doing well. Great to see Gonzo and Abs and Jenna. Uh, I can't wait to hop into it. We got some really really cool stuff today. Gonzo, a lot of cool news. We're going to talk about an Ethereum ETF. We're going to talk about the carbon credit market as well. But first of all, how are you feeling? Thanks for being here. I'm feeling good, Abs. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Jenna. Good morning, Johnny. Yeah, man, it's going to be a great week. Uh, I know last week was really awesome. I got to spend a lot of time with you. And, and so I think this week is going to be more of the same. Today's my first day uh, for the week. So, um, yeah, man, lots of news, lot of, lots of stuff going on with, um, with, with PayPal. And then even Base, I think, is rolling out uh, Coinbase's kind of layer two. Scaling solution is coming out tomorrow. So lots of stuff. Plus, we got a lot of the CPI data and a lot of the um, uh, data is coming at the end of the week. So it should be kind of an interesting week. Absolutely, Gonzo. And Jenna, always excited to see you and collaborate on these Tuesdays. How are you feeling? Thanks for being here. I am feeling amazing. Thank you so much for having me on every Tuesday. It is the best part of my week. I'm telling you what. And I want to give a huge shout out to the Warriors in the chat. And Susie, she is always bringing the good vibes. So shout out to you, Susie. I see you out there. All kinds of amazing topics today. I'm so excited to get into it, Abs. Thank you, Jenna. And with that being said, guys, we're going to get this thing started the same way we always do by checking out the Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button. We continue to love talking to you. The Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index is in neutral this morning, sitting at a 49, Johnny. But when we look at the daily movers, it is a green day across the board. I guess it's not a good day to wear red. We got HBAR up about 10%, Chainlink 3.5%, and Algorand up about 4% on the day. When we look at our Merlin market update this morning, we're sitting at 1.17 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 49% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. 
We've got Bitcoin sitting at 29,500, Ethereum 1841, BNB is 240, and XRP a little bit of green this morning, up two and a half percent, sitting at 63 cents. And Johnny, we're going to get right into some interesting content for today as we've got some breaking news out of HBAR. HBAR has just appointed the former White House open source expert as their chief open source officer. More really, really bullish news for this project. And Gonzo, I'd love to start with you. What do you think? HBAR continues to make news, but you never hear about it in the crypto conversation. Yeah, you know, it's one of those projects that, like, you know, while we've gone through this bear market, um, I think they've continued to just build. Um, you know, people have been really frustrated lately because the um, the staking rewards have been reduced. Where they, they were like at six point something. They've gone down to like two point something. So people have been upset about that. A lot of people, you know, have been like kind of upset and selling their H bar. Uh, you know, it was nice to get the rewards, but, you know, I'm not. I, I'm not all invested in HBAR because of some reward. It's because of the technology that they're building. Uh, and I'm a long-term holder of HBAR. So, you know, the sticking rewards were nice with the, with the validator. Um, and, you know, I'm going to continue to get some rewards, but I mean, it, it was crazy. You know how Twitter gets, people were like kind of upset about it and they were like selling their bags just because they changed the staking rewards. I wish I could say I was surprised, Gonzo, but we got some positive news to share with our listeners. And with 171 live listeners here, show us some love, smash that like button, and check out this latest development out of CypressX on Twitter. This is the official Citibank employee right here discussing crypto adoption and how many of the deals they make are handshakes behind the scenes. Here we go. You know, it's what, what I say to my crypto native friends is that, you know, it's kind of like the empire striking back a little bit. You know, the big organizations are going to use the technology at a scale that we have not seen before for this level of technology. You're going to be the enabler for people for, with your skill set to help us large organizations. There's, you know, build your own companies as well, of course, but you can really help us to, to get the infrastructure in place to enable, uh, you know, blockchain-based technologies to, um, to really grow at the scale that we haven't seen before. And that's what we're all waiting for, Jenna. We talk about the Ripple narrative very often, but we know how it affected other projects. Johnny, I'm going to kick it to you, and then we'll get into this news. Sorry, Abs, I was on mute there. So what was the question? <laughs> Sorry. It's, all it's all good. Jenna, what did you think of that video right there? That was an official Citibank employee discussing how they're going to need blockchain to enhance their payments. And many crypto investors that he speaks with, he assures them that there are deals behind the scenes that we're not aware of. So how do you feel about that breaking news and how the Ripple narrative will impact banks going forward? I mean, you heard the man, he knows what's up and what's going on, but we already know that blockchain solves so many problems and that's why we're in this and here for the tech. I mean, it is more efficient. There's obviously like less fraud, it's faster and the banking system right now is so flawed. And what did David Schwartz say on that space that we were watching in the green room that, you know, there's just like a handful of banks that basically like control everything. And this is what you have to watch. Like, obviously they're doing it and that's what's going on. And we know that there's things going on behind the scenes, but we also know that like XLM, XRP, XCC, all the ones that we love, the ISO, ISO 20022s, those are the ones to watch out for. They are, you know, in the know with all this. And Jenna, we're about to get into our breaking news for today as Ripple shakes up the carbon credit markets with this new partnership with Centigrade. Blockchain firm Ripple is harnessing the power of this new technology for climate change mitigation, joining hands with a climate-focused technology provider, Centigrade. And why is this so important, guys? This is just another way Ripple is expanding their products. They've conquered the ODL market, as we like to say. Now we're talking about derivatives and the carbon credit market. So this is really, really exciting. Ripple underscored its commitment to climate change mitigation with a $100 million investment. Now a partnership focused with climate-based technology provider Centigrade seeks to further address this global challenge. Centigrade has launched an open data platform to instill trust in the global voluntary carbon market. I like how they use the word voluntary uh -huh. for now. By offering high-quality data, ease of access, and transparency, the platform aims to foster a liquid, fair, and efficient carbon credit market. The platform is not trading or a rating mechanism, but instead it exists to provide invaluable data to all the participants in the carbon credit ecosystem. That includes the sellers, buyers, and service providers alike. Ripple and Centigrade are poised to deliver a critical service to the carbon credit market, now allowing open data platforms and investors to make informed decisions, potentially fostering more robust 
and high quality carbon credits. This is exciting and depressing at the same time here, Johnny. We're talking about the carbon credit market becoming more impactful than ever, but one of our favorite products is taking center stage. So I'd like to kick it to you and then we'll go to Gonzo. Well, this kind of goes to that whole bittersweet kind of thing where you look at it and you say, well, yeah, you don't want carbon credits coming because they're a tax on society. But the reality is they are coming. They're in a damn thing you could do to stop it. So the next best thing is how do you invest in it, right? That's kind of how I look at things. And everybody's entitled to look at it in their own way. Some people look at it and say, oh, no, I'm not going to participate at all because I don't want to foster it. And that's fine, too. But the reality is. It's coming. You can't stop it. And so seeing that ripples, no surprise here, you know, that ripples kind of looking at things to do things in a more green, efficient way. I would expect them to continue to partner with more and more green type companies, if you will. Yeah, I think you're going to read more and more about these kind of relationships with Ripple apps. Uh, so for me, again, it's a positive news from a perspective of being a Ripple owner. You know, these are the kind of things that you want to just continue to see them. So, I mean, guys, Ripple, that, that you know, everyone says, like, who's going to be the new next Amazon? And I'm not saying Ripple's going to be, but, man, they literally have their fingers in anything and everything right now. And they got a billion dollars in the bank, Abs. So they are going to be, to me, a powerhouse company in the future. No, Bob, no doubt about it as we move into Web 3.0. Jenna, I'd love to get some of your thoughts as well, but this is some of the news that was highlighted yesterday. I'm just going to remind people, and then we'll go back to the carbon credits. Ripple actually partnered with the International Swaps and Derivatives Association, now being connected to over 1,000 institutions in 79 countries. So while everybody's focused on the swaps, we got the carbon credit narrative starting in the background. What's that mean to you, Jenna? Well, first of all, bullish on all of that news that came out of the ISDA. But yeah, I mean, this carbon credit thing, it should be absolutely no surprise to everyone. I mean, you have Ripple that that's why it is already pre-made tokens, right? There's no mining because we want to be good for the environment. We want to be green. That's like one of the whole things there. And also, you know, that they're partnered with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We have Bill Gates, who is like the king of climate change, right? So and their own World Economic Forum. So of course, they're going to continue with that narrative. And I would expect it like as Johnny said, that to continue, but so bullish on that article, right with the ISDA. This is this is huge, guys. This is big. I mean, we're talking trillions with a T. With a T, Jenna, and one of the things that's exciting about graphics like these, Gonzo, is Ripple is looking to capitalize on every single one of these markets. And look at the bottom here. That is base money. So when we're talking about market cap, we often focus on the money that's in circulation, but the derivatives market sitting up here is more than 100x the circulating money supply. So we're talking historically large numbers, but Gonzo, I'd like to get your thoughts and we'll continue. Yeah, you know, they're definitely playing into that whole climate change ESG narrative. Right. And we know that's going to be the future and that, you know, as an investment thesis, a lot of these companies are taking that into account ever since kind of BlackRock came out with their whole ESG thing. And Larry Fink started talking about ESG. The rest of them are going to fall in line. So it definitely, you know, uh, they, they fall in line for that. And then as far as the derivatives market, like that is where the moneymaker is. Right. That's why all these exchanges want to get into derivatives that's why coinbase filed for a derivatives license down in the bahamas it's because where they make their where they make their money right they make a shit ton of money and so um yeah super bullish on ripple and and xrp johnny we often talk about how large these numbers get when we incorporate derivatives real estate tokenized assets but check out these numbers right here before we continue with the show earlier this week we reported on how a jp or sorry uh, a wells fargo executive created an XRP price target that was historically high, agreeing with people like Jimmy Valley that we could easily see a three-digit XRP, and this is how they get to those high numbers. If XRP was able to capture about 10% of the derivatives market, we are looking at a $1,896 product. Now, obviously, we're not hyping that number, and we're not saying we're going to get that high, but you can see how quickly these numbers get, or how quickly these numbers rise when we incorporate derivatives and tokenized assets. I just wanted to get some thoughts from you. Well, Abs, I remember when I first started getting into this space a long time ago, there was a really, really good video out there. I can't find it anymore. And the guy talked about different level prices of XRP, depending on if it got a piece of, you know, cross-border transfers and, and tokenization. And, and actually, the highest one was derivatives. When you looked at it, if it got the derivatives, because the derivatives market is the biggest, that that would drive the price up. And I think at the time, it would drive it to like somewhere around four or $500. So... To me, I've always felt that somewhere in the range 
between like 10 to $50 is probably a more real, I'm a realistic guy, right? I'm the real, so I'm not all this crazy 589 stuff, but 10 to $50 always felt kind of realistic for me for XRP. But if it ended up like, and I was talking short term by 2030, if we talk about the whole world and derivatives and everything's fully operational 10, 20, 30 years from now, yeah, I mean, it's not inconceivable that we see XRP somewhere, you know, $500 and above. I, I, I could see that. But that would have to mean they would own, you know, a decent chunk of the pie going forward. And the fact that they now partnered with who are the two big names yesterday? JP Morgan and BlackRock for the ISDA, right? That's huge, Abs. That's why I was very bullish on that news because that puts them at the seat of the table of the largest market in the world with the biggest players in the world, which tells me there's potential someday that this thing can go high. Yeah, I don't think, like, see, 35000 I don't think we're ever going to see anything near that, right? But four to $500, if they own a big chunk of something, maybe it's very possible down the road, but that's not something I'm hanging my hat on. With that being said, guys, here's a perfect video out of David Schwartz corresponding to what Johnny said. If we're going to take over a three-digit XRP, we're going to need some major catalysts to get there. And a global reserve asset has some massive potential. Here we go. Uh, Two existing world reserve currencies to, to, to simultaneously exist. I I do. And I think that could happen. I think it's quite realistic that a lot of the world is just done with the dollar as the reserve currency. And I think that there's a lot of places that are are willing to try something else. And, you know, one of my one of my scenarios and I don't think again, I don't think it's going to play out quickly, but like one of my wild case success scenarios for a digital asset is if countries start to realize that the U.S. dollar is not going to be the reserve currency forever. Other things are going to be the reserve currency. And and the same thing that we saw with banks, like people when, I, when we started selling software to banks, people would say to me, you know, why would a bank use something that like you guys were selling them when they could use something that was like made by banks? And what they didn't realize is that. Well, Johnny, what he goes on to elaborate there is that 99 percent of the countries and banks that exist are incentivized to move away from the U.S. dollar because right now they have no control over that asset. And the power of that thing is just, it's just collapsing as we talk right now. So give me some thoughts and we'll continue. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think from the perspective of the world moving away from the dollar as the world reserve currency, no question that's happening and it's going to happen. That's sad, but it is going to happen in our lifetimes. Unfortunately, uh, I think in terms of, you know, a cryptocurrency becoming the world reserve currency. No, I think we're very, very far away from that day happening. I mean, look at how hard it's going to be for something to replace the dollar. It has to be something that's trusted, something that's probably backed by gold and something that's backed by a leading nation or nations that, that are, you know, are willing to do that. And there are no, no way that right now the world is ready to take on a cryptocurrency. We can't even get the goddamn thing passed in Congress, right? You can't even say the word crypto public. It's still a crime. Go to a bank and say crypto. It's like you're a criminal. So I, I don't think we're going to see that piece of it happening in the short term. I mean, if he's thinking very, very long term, yeah, maybe the world is willing to try something. But they, I don't think the world is willing to try a cryptocurrency. I think the world is willing to try a basket of currencies of some nations that represent a strong GDP of, of the globe that maybe that has a chance, Abs. And I think that that to me would be the most likely probability. Gonzo, I'd like to get some closing remarks from you as well. We are going to talk about the potential of an Ethereum ETF being approved this year. But what do you think? What is the case scenario from your perspective that any digital asset is put into a basket that is included as a reserve currency? What do you think? Um, You know, I'm with Johnny. I I don't see it as a cryptocurrency, but like maybe uh, a digital version of it, uh, of some type of a currency, like fiat currency they could do. But yeah, I, I think especially when you look at like, where the world's going to and the globalization part of it, you know, it leans more into some type of basket of currencies that will become the world reserve currency. I'm good with that. You know, we're, we're getting the adoption that, that, that we want, but like, like we've been saying, you know, we still don't even have legislation in the U S right. You have a lot of legislation in other parts of the world, like Singapore, the UK, Hong Kong, right. Um, so I, I think we're far, we're, we're farther away from that. Like some kind of, like, let's say Bitcoin, right. I, I think we're very, very far away to look at something like that. Um, and so 
Um, I think before you even got something like that, you'd get something like a, a basket of currencies. But maybe at some point, I don't know, when we're long gone, um, uh, maybe, yeah, you know, as technology catches up. Jen, I'm going to provide a little bit of hopium here before I play this David Schwartz clip. Everyone talks about XRP being the potential. It's, it's the number one cryptocurrency in the markets today. When you talk about the potential to be a global reserve asset and to be the liquidity between central bank digital currencies, I don't think it's much further of a leap to say that we could see governments take a little bit of that asset and apply it to themselves, right? Say that we're going to hold this digital liquidity because that's what it is at the end of the day, the liquidity between assets. And I think David Schwartz clip here elaborates on that. We'll kick it right back to you. Most countries know that if there's going to be a new world reserve currency that's a country's currency, it's not going to be them. And so they might actually prefer a currency that nobody can control to one that's controlled by their largest geopolitical rivals. And so that's like what I think is the biggest possible success scenario for, for, the, for, digital, for, you know, for digital assets. And I know we wanted to say XRP there, but he stopped himself, Jenna. And we got 296 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We are yet to get into some of the most exciting news from today. As Joseph Lubin and Brad Garlinghouse had an argument back in 2019 that is quickly becoming more important than ever. But before we do that, Jenna, what's on your mind? Well, isn't that what the X is for, Abs? Like nobody owns like that cryptocurrency. You know, it's interoperable. It's a free agent. Basically, like, you know, yeah. anybody can use it. So, yeah. So I, I totally agree with what, you know, David Swartz is saying. And that's exactly what ODL is made to do. So not only with just uh, Ripple, but I believe it could be between that or XLM. I don't rule out XLM. And I also don't rule out Adam, people are going to laugh, but Cosmos blockchain is something to keep an eye on as well. But I think it could be like, you know, these guys are saying a basket of them, right? So just definitely a lot to watch out for. Jenna, one more quick thought here is that only other crypto project that was not an exchange included in the ISDA was Algorand. So we had Ripple and Algorand, the two cryptocurrencies associated with the derivatives market. What does that mean to you? We had a funny discussion where Johnny, I asked Johnny Crypto, what's more important, the perspective of Gary Gensler or the perspective of the ISDA? But I'd like to hear your thoughts. Honestly, what's more important to you? Algorand being associated here or Gary Gensler claiming it's a security? Oh, screw Gary Gensler, right? Like Algo's been around for a while. They can pay a fine, whatever. They're not going anywhere. So I don't look for, you know, if they have to be held up in a legal battle for a little bit, then so be it. But they're they're not going to go away. And you know, obviously, what the ISCA says that trumps anything that Gary has to say. I got more this morning. Obviously, not financial advice, but I was looking at it ten cents. Then it popped up to eleven. Like this is still a great buy-in for the long term because I just want to put this away and then look back at five, ten years and see where it's at. I think it's totally worth it, in my opinion. I do think it's an exciting time to be getting involved in this market, Gonzo, just because of the broad potential of projects like Algorand. We're all sitting here guessing, and that tells me one thing. We're in the speculation phase of this market. When we see real utility implemented, it's projects like Algorand, XRP, and Stellar that are probably going to capitalize on most of that liquidity. So I'd like to get some of your thoughts, and we'll continue. Yeah, you know, I was telling you guys before the show, there, there was a story. I, I couldn't vet it because I didn't have enough time to see if it was true, but it was talking about Algorand being a top contender for maybe the payment system of X, right? That maybe Elon Musk was looking at it. I don't know if it's a real story or not. I didn't get a time to vet it. I was looking and then, you know, we had to do the show. But yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, a lot of us are going to be thanking Gary Gessler for the way that he treated Al Algorand because we've double bottomed. We, we were at all time lows. And so just a simple move back to where we broke down at at 20 cents is a hundred percent move from where we at right now. Um, so yeah, uh, I definitely have been dollar cost averaging into, um, into Algorand and have been able to drop my entries way, way low, close to the bottom, right? It's all risk reward. Can, um, can we have more issues? Like if the market turns around, sure it can. But if you notice, once we hit that kind of 10, almost nine cents level, which is the absolute bottom, while other cryptos are still pulling back, Algorand was just pulling back a little bit. So when you look at risk or reward, that tells me like that's the major support. I think that's like the bottom, right? Not financial advice. But for me, when you look at risk reward, getting my entries at that price um, is, is nothing but upside. And Johnny Crypto, this is a pretty cool article here as we had the pleasure of meeting uh, this man, Bob Way, the founder of Expector and one of the 10 founders at Ripple's technology firm. He said, what I expect is, is turning the switch is going to be, it's going to be connecting all banks 
to these other payment service providers that are already using X through rapid product and going through XRP now, increasing the volume. This is what we talk about with the flip of the switch moment, Johnny. Now, that was a little bit of, of difficult to understand. So do you think we're ever going to have a moment where banks are desiring XRP going after buying massive pools of liquidity and then sitting on it so we can finally get some price appreciation? Well, I mean, if they end up adopting the technology and doing it, then they're going to need it to be able to 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 operate the system app. So to that extent, yes. Um, the question is, he says banks are already using X Rapid, and I'm not sure. And I, so that must be a little older because I don't even think they call it X Rapid anymore. Of course, no. This is from 2018. This is an interview with Bob Way, but I still think the quote is relevant. I, yeah, yeah. The question is, see. There was a lot of hype around the XRP back in 2017, right? We saw monster, monster bull run. So one of the things, as I've been telling you, is you got to take some of this stuff with a grain of salt because a lot of it was speculative. There was a lot of, in fact, most of the 2017 and 18 bull run was, was speculation, right? And so there's going to be a lot of speculative things like that being said, people pumping stuff and things like that. And so to me, what really matters is now we're moving into the world of utility actual adoption, actually using. I think we're beyond that whole speculative piece, Abs, to some degree. Don't get me wrong. There's going to be a shit ton of speculation and, and that same kind of stuff happening in the next board. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying we're moving much, much closer now into a world where in 2018, we were completely 100% speculative. Now we're maybe 80, 90% speculative and maybe 20, 30% utility, maybe even more utility. The balls are happening. The moves are happening behind the scenes now as you just heard uh, in, in the prior, one of the prior videos, right? Where there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes, those NDAs that we were talking about, there's a lot of NDAs going around and a lot of quiet stuff happening that wasn't happening in 2018. So to answer your question, yeah, I think at the end of the day, if this system, whatever it is, gets adopted, whatever is used, you will see the banks needing to purchase whatever it is. And in this case, if it's, if it's XD, uh, the ODL, then you would see a lot of XRP being bought. But I would imagine they would buy it in the in the uh, in the dark pools or, you know, from the escrows where I think once a month Ripple offers one billion available and most of it comes back because nobody's buying it right now. But I think that's where it would get bought up. Abs. It, to add on to that, to what Johnny said, and in the in 2017 at the actual Ripple Swell Conference, the very first one. And I think that this is, you know, yeah, there was a lot of speculation, everything. But I believe Uncle Brad, right? I believe in him 100%. But he actually confirmed that he said one day Ripple's network of 100 billion XRP will preside over trillions of dollars in financial transactions. And he confirmed that on stage at the Ripple Swell Conference. And I believe him. So I'm in. That's a great point, Jenna. And guys, we got 311 listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And this is a great video associated to what Jenna just broke down. Brad Garlinghouse has made one thing very clear about Ripple. They are transparent by choice. There are many people operating in crypto that don't disclose the information that Ripple does. And here he is calling out Joseph Lubin back in 2018 for his lack of transparency with Ethereum. Escrow 55% of all the XRP that we own. We can't sell it. We can't do anything with it. So, you know, we actually own about 13%. So, but but you do sell it regularly, XRP. right? Don't, don't you so sell it into the market? We're transparent about that. How much do you sell? Um, you know, when, when necessary. Uh, sure. And I, I think, I, look, I'm talking about transparency because I think for the whole industry to mature, we need to be transparent in the industry. Ripple, I think, has tried to lead by example with that. And I think there's other ecosystems that I have no idea what's going on in those ecosystems. And I, I don't think that's good for the whole industry. So I think it's bad for Ripple, too. But they're decentralized in terms of ownership of the token. Ownership of token is decentralized insofar as they work on a proof of stake. If it's a mining-based protocol, then centralization is based upon the mining control, not ownership. Uh, there you have it, Johnny Crypto. Joseph Lubin and Brad Garlinghouse figuring out that decentralization doesn't just mean who owns the token. It means who controls the mining pool. And I love when Joseph Lubin plays dumb, but during the conversations he had with Will or Bill Hinman, he was very smart and he was very uh, transparent about what's happening with Ethereum. And guys, we, we do have an article associated with the new breakdown where Stuart Alderati, Ripple CLO, calls for a formal investigation into Bill Hinman. And this is something we're going to be breaking down after this. But Johnny, you tell me, do you think that was a revelation had on stage or did Joseph Lubin know exactly what he was doing? 
I think I just I wish Brad could say what he really wanted to say because you know he would have said, "Listen, you little you rat snake weasel, you went and you went and you got Hinman and paid fifteen million dollars to come out and say ETH was a security so you could make a shit ton of money and dump on everybody because that's what that rat snake weasel Lubin did." You want to talk about a big rat snake weasel? I don't even. Hey, Lubin would actually break the scale because he's that's how much of a weasel he is. Uh, but basically. At the end of the day, Abs, what he was really trying to say there is like, look, we're being transparent. We, here's what we have in escrow. This is what we sell each month. And you saw Lumen go at him right away. Oh, you do sell it. Yeah. He didn't mean what he meant was it's set on a schedule and it's a monthly thing, one billion being offered, and then people can, you know, buy it. If not, it returns back to the pool. And so I think Brad is trying to be transparent about what they do. And it's pretty funny that, you know, you got the pot calling the kettle black here where you got Lubin. He's saying, you know, trying to call him out that he's not being transparent when it was really Lubin that we know was was kind of the mat. I don't know if I want to say it's the mastermind behind the whole ETH gate, but he certainly had uh, his hands in that in that pie. Gone. So I'd like to give you the open floor and then we're going to break this down. Any closing remarks on what I just showed you there? Joseph Lubin and Brad Garlinghouse. Yeah, you know, remember when the video was made, uh, you know, that was when Ethereum was being mined. So that's what he means by the control of uh, of the miners. But I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, J Joseph Lobin uh, went in and, uh, you know, leveraged all of his relationships when they were coming out with the initial ICO. And yeah, you know, Brad would tell him, you know, what he wanted to say is like, yeah, didn't you guys sell the top? Didn't you guys just dump on everybody? Like yeah. that wasn't a timing thing. They literally sold the top. And then Vitalika said it like they sold the top, right? The Ethereum Foundation sold the top. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure Brad had a, a bunch more choice words. And, and every time it's funny because, you know, I, I've seen Brad on other like Twitter spaces. I remember when they were uh, he was like gracious enough to jump on our Twitter spaces when everyone was talking about the exchanges collapsing. And he, and he was talking about transparency and he was like saying things that a lot of other people don't say about as far as Ripple. And they were just like attacking the same kind of thing. Like, oh, you dump that you dump on this or that. And then he was like, look, I, I came here to like try to like put people at ease and, and be transparent. And all they did was try attacking him. So, uh, you know, I think Ripple's always going to be that way where they're going to try to be as transparent as possible. You have to remember, too, that they're a business. Right. And so. They're, they're not going to tell you everything because they're a business, right? There are some things that they're not going to be able to share, but I think they try to be as, as transparent as possible. And you here's know that where we can use this to our advantage. Sorry, I'm going to kick it right to you, Johnny. Where I do think we can use this whole Ethereum narrative to our advantage is XRP is the only token with clarity in the United States. We're going to break down this article later on where there's a 75% chance an Ethereum ETF gets approved this year, according to Bloomberg. Well, if an Ethereum ETF is getting approved, I'm going to drop a bombshell here. An XRP ETF could be very quick to follow. But Johnny, floor is yours. You know, it's just funny. Whenever whenever uh, Brad is in these groups with, with other, other people, they always seem to attack him and Ripple. And it just tells me that it's, you know, when you're being, when you're the guy being attacked, it's primarily because they're scared of you. And to me, I, I think that's really what it is. is I think these, these other uh, maxis realize that XRP really, you know, Ripple really has you know, staying power and they really have some serious good products out there. And I think it's just one of those things where they look at whatever they can do to bash them and bring them down. And that just tells you that, you know, you're probably in a really good place. If you're, if you're playing, if you're on Ripple's side in the long run or invested in Ripple or in XRP, to me, it makes me feel good knowing that everybody's coming after us. So that's okay. It's all good. Cause Ripple's got a billion dollars in the bank and a shit ton of relationships and people, you know, on those boards that I think are really going to drive them in the future. Gonzo and the Ethereum accountability is only beginning when we get into ETHgate. We got 335 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And there's a reason I called out Gonzo here because I'm going to you first on this article. A call from Stuart Alderati. Alderati emphasized the need for accountability and transparency. He states an investigation must be conducted to understand what or who influenced Hinman, why the conflict of interest exists, and why the SEC touted the speech knowing it would create greater confusion. Now, this argument's becoming more important by the day, Gonzo, but what really catches my attention is if all this corruption was taking place in 2018, how much exists today? Are we going to be sitting in 2025, 2026, talking about, I can't believe Gary Gensler was getting away with that in 2021. I think it's very, very likely, but let's stay on the, uh, on the facts right here. A former SEC official now agrees Bill Himmon was corrupt and put out this public response that Stuart Alderati retweeted. 
I'd like to ask you, what are the chances you think Bill Hinman is held accountable? And what are some of the repercussions we could see? I mean, even if he is corrupt, are they just going to make him pay a million dollar fine and move on? This not only affected the U.S. market, it affected global markets when it comes to crypto adoption. So with that being said, floor is yours. Yeah, you know, I'm not an SEC lawyer, but it just depends on if there are specific laws that are already written that this would apply to. And I, and I believe that there, there, there are. There has to be something right, right? But I, I, this is not going away. And I think that the more that influential people and powerful people speak up, that maybe, I know we always joke and we kind of say like, nothing's ever going to happen because nothing ever happens. But I guess it just really depends. Uh, Gonzo, you hit the mute on your microphone by accident. Or we lost him. One or the other, Johnny Crypto, this is why they pay you the big bucks, my friend. We are kicking it straight to you. Gonzo's got to get his audio figured out real quick. But we got 360 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. You give me your thoughts, Johnny. An SEC official is officially calling Bill Hemming corrupt. Yeah, and but the reality is, Abs, you know where I stand on this, right? At the end of the day, you know, you know, if if something was going to happen, it was going to happen already to him. We, we know all the dirt that's been out there and everything, but the reality is you got a better chance. We all got a better chance of getting struck by lightning than I think anything ever happening to, to Hinman. Um, you know, will he pay a fine maybe? Yeah, but is he going to go to jail? No. Does he have 15 million bananas in the bank now? Probably somewhere, right? So I just don't – I'm glad. It's nice to see him get called out, Abs, for accountability. But do you guys honestly believe that, that something's going to really happen to this man? I think they're probably going to make it seem like they hold him accountable. Maybe they'll give him a fine. Maybe they'll say he had a couple of legal meetings. But is yeah. Bill Hinman going to be looking through bars in the next 12 months? Absolutely not. Exactly, yeah. 100% agree with you. Gonzo, I think your back floor is yours. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, you would hope that, you know, I was going to say that there has to be some kind of specific SEC law that that was violated. But and it just depends. Like we usually see these things and nothing ever happens. So I would just say just to be contradictory or the other side of the argument is if enough people speak up and it gets enough kind of weight behind it and it doesn't go away and it's not going away. Right. You see that more and more evidence is coming forward. And maybe the right people get a hold of it. Maybe we get an investigation. And like you said, maybe he pays a fine or something happens. But you know what's going to happen. They're going to end up making it seem like, well, this isn't the SEC. This was him. He was rogue, right? Um, but I think you, you, you brought up a very good point that I bet you what ends up happening is at some point in the future, you're, we're going to see that. We're going to see this again, right? Because this is more – this isn't just Bill Hinman – being like an isolated thing. This is a culture, right? When you see Jay Clayton and how he supported the speech, that means he's involved. And then he throws out the lawsuit against Ripple. And now you see what Gary Gensler's doing. This is uh, almost like a cancer. It needs to be completely cut out. Um, and that's why we talk about, we need a whole new regulatory um, entity, right? Or these guys need to be all wiped away because it's, it's the way, it's their culture, right? And so I wouldn't be surprised that in the future, we're going to look back and it'll be like articles and emails where we find out that Gary Gensler was doing shady shit like Bill Hinman was, right? Because it's a culture that's being bred there at the SEC. Johnny, I'm going to read one more closing remark here and let's see if this changes you or Gonzo's perspective. This is an ex-SEC official that has been very anti-crypto and pro-SEC. Well, he came out with a historic statement and I'm calling it historic for a reason. He is calling for an FBI investigation into Will Hinman. So SEC official Bill Hinman was corrupt, says this former SEC employee. Yes, I have read that Bill Hinman might have, might have acted unethically or even unlawfully, at least according to some reports. The FBI should investigate the so-called Hinman emails. And if the evidence shows unlawful conduct, the Department of Justice should prosecute. But Hinman's conduct is a weak deflection and a total red herring and has little to do with the applicability of the securities laws to the cryptocurrency market. And we got 365 live listeners here. Show us some love, smash that like button because we got some great news at the end of the episode. If an Ethereum ETF is on the way, an XRP ETF is quick to follow. But Johnny, what do you think? SEC official making a, make, calling for an FBI investigation. Yeah, I mean, you know, for an FBI to be involved, there has to be criminal, some kind of criminal, um, you know, law or, or law that he broke for that. And I think a lot of this stuff you find with the SEC, they'll tell you, is mainly more civil in nature 
And so, of course, with him and what he could have done, it's not saying that there couldn't be. There could have been certainly things he could have done. More of it is probably more unethical or moral. And, you know, you're not going to jail for that. Could you pay a fine? Maybe or maybe lose your job. But it doesn't matter. He's not working there no more. So, Abs, again, as I said earlier, I'm not so sure, you know, it's a really interesting thing is who is the actual official who's calling for it? Did they release who's actually calling for it? Or just as ex official. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, they're curious and wondering if he has an ax to grind with him and to be honest with you. Um, but at the end of the day, Oh yeah, there it is. John Reed. Star. Okay. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think that will, you know, should there be some look, someone looking into it, you would think that the agency would have some kind of, investigation into it and look to see he's spot on is there it was there anything done that broke a law and if there was then he should be held accountable just like you or i or anybody else would be held accountable to it right abs i mean it's just no question about that the question is the thing you got to ask yourself is this happened in 2018 we didn't talk about for, for freaking five years if it, what, what, what's taking so long? It's not like there isn't any evidence out there and now the hinman emails were released a while back so everybody's had now the public has access to it. And as Gonzo said, if there's enough screaming from the public, maybe something will happen. But, you know, the courts had access to this. And I'm, I don't know, maybe even the FBI had access to it sooner than the public did. And yet nothing has happened. So it kind of makes you wonder if anything ever will at this point. Gonzo, one last closing question for you. What, why wouldn't they hold an investigation with all the people who are supporting this, all the XRP holders, crypto investors overall? it seems more counterintuitive to not go after him than to just go after him and then prove he's innocent if he has nothing to hide. Um, because, you know, if it was really just Bill Hinman being rogue, right, and it was just like a setup that he did so that he made himself and the rest of the Ethereum Foundation extremely rich, then I think they would. But it goes back to the original point that I said, it's a systemic thing. And when that corruption spreads out and it's multiple entities within that, that are corrupt, that's probably why, right? Because no one's willing to come forward and say anything because it's a culture, right? We, we see this um, sometimes uh, in police departments, right? Where you have corruption, where the new people come in and they're brought up in that same culture and they become corrupt. And it's like this never ending kind of cycle until somebody finally stands up and says enough's enough. And then it gets all wiped away. So just to close this out, do you do you believe there'll be an investigation? And if so, will Bill Hinman be held accountable? All, all of your perspective, right? I'm just putting you on the spot. Um, you know, like I said, if, if people like make enough noise and the, an important person makes enough noise, maybe we'll get an investigation. It seems like, um, you know, it, it depends on like Johnny was saying, like who needs to investigate it? Is it going to be the FBI? Is it going to be the DOJ? Is it going to be the SEC itself? Because it doesn't seem like the SEC itself can regulate itself or has much teeth. Because you saw in the emails, they were the ethics committee was telling him there were like suggestions, but basically saying, "Hey, don't say this; you're going to cause more confusion." And he didn't give two shits; he did it anyways. And was there any repercussions for him going against their advice? No. So it would have to be an outside entity to come in and and investigate this thing. Maybe even like a, a committee through through Congress or a special prosecutor. Thank you, Gonzo. And we're going to get into this exciting information here. As Kathy Wood states, once a Bitcoin spot ETF approved, the floodgates open for crypto ETFs in the United States of America. And we got 378 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button because this could be the most bullish news of the entire episode. I think the SEC, if it's going to approve a Bitcoin ETF, will approve more than one uh, at, at, at once. Uh, so then, uh, again, because most of these essentially will be the same and it will come down to marketing, communicating the message. You know, we've been putting out our uh, Bitcoin monthly for the for the last uh, year. Uh, we are now starting a Bitcoin um, brainstorming session. Uh, our first one we launched last Thursday. Uh, so we're trying to get the word out there that uh, you know, our research is deep and we've been doing it since 2015 when we gained our first exposure to GBTC. We were the first public asset manager to gain uh, exposure to Bitcoin at all in 2015. So Johnny, Gonzo, Jenna, I'm sure you all have comments on this issue. But before you do, I want to remind our listeners, there is one token in the United States that has clarity right now. That is XRP. That is not Bitcoin. And when you listen to the many of these conversations, even people as smart as Mark Yusko, 
act as if they don't fully understand Bitcoin hasn't been given clarity. And we do have a, a clip from Mike Novengrass to correspond with that. But Johnny, give me your take and then we'll go to Gonzo and Jenna. Well, I don't think Bitcoin needs clarity, right? There's no entity to sue. As, as, as we had Jeremy on the show, Hogan said, who are you going to sue? There's no entity. So it doesn't need, it doesn't even need the clarity. So I think Bitcoin has, a, has what it's never going to be considered a, um, a security. And I don't think that's even an issue that the SEC has to address because of that fact that there's <laughs> nobody to sue. So that you start with that and you can say, really, there's two coins out there that pretty much have, you know, either clarity or don't need to worry about clarity. And I would, I would, so if I threw that as a bucket, I'd say right now you've got BTC and, and XRP programmatic sales. Okay. Uh, to me, have the clarity around them. So that's a good thing. And then in terms of Kathy spot on, and, and we've been saying it on the show, Abs, the minute these BTF, BTC ETFs come out, that's going to be extremely bullish for the crypto space. Why? Because we know there's a shit ton of money sitting on the sidelines right now, institutional money that wants to invest in this. And here's what happens when you open up an ETF, you're supposed to buy theoretically. So it's a paper ETF, right? So you'd have paper BTC, but you have to buy the equivalency of that BTC to hold that. So it's a one-to-one -one offering. So if I say I've got, uh, I'm just making this up, a thousand BTC in my ETF, I have to go buy a thousand BTC. What does that do? That drives the price of BTC up because you're going to have a shit ton of buying with institutions that are going to drive the price up. And to me, that is, you know, everybody's saying, where's the liquidity coming from? Well, this is one source of liquidity that's going to come to the crypto space and it will flood and hit BTC. And I think you'll see dramatic increase in, in BTC pricing and eventually over time, the halo effect and the overflow into the altcoins at some point thereafter that may be six to nine months later i don't know the time frame of how long it's going to happen but man it's gonna i think open the floodgates to the crypto space guys mark yusko will be joining the show in just a couple of weeks and we're going to have a special collaboration for that episode with a fox news reporter and you can figure out who that is it is not charlie gasparino but gonzo i want to get your thoughts as well as there's a 75 percent chance of an ethereum futures etf gets approved in the united states at least according to Bloomberg analysts. And we're going to take a different approach than what people are probably expecting here. The odds of the Ethereum futures ETFs hitting exchanges this year have risen dramatically to nearly 75% from the perspective of Bloomberg analysts. This massive change in view spurt uh, happened after 12 applications at the SEC were filed in recent days. The SEC appears to be changing its posture towards crypto based on the reports of its back-channel messaging to ETF issuers. That means handshakes behind the scenes. Also, we believe the SEC will have a hard time in court defending the denial of an Ethereum futures ETF after approving standard and leveraged Bitcoin futures. Massive news here, but we're going to apply this to XRP. If, if Ethereum receives an ETF, all XRP investors should laugh and sit back in their chairs because we'll know from that point forward, we're only a couple months away from a product being provided to us. So what do you think? 75% chance, including to Bloomberg, do you agree with that narrative? Remember, it, that's a futures ETF, not a spot ETF. And the difference is with the spot ETF, you can access the underlying assets. Like Johnny was saying, it's actually Bitcoin or Ethereum. So, you know, they're the experts. So I think, especially since, you know, they, they recently approved the uh, Bitcoin futures ETF 2X leverage one. So I, I think we could see a futures. But as far as the spot, like I know a lot of people are talking about August 13th with um with arc investments uh bitcoin spot etf application and and that is just they're going to delay that right because they have a certain amount of windows where they could delay deny or support right and the actual date where they have to make the decision where they cannot no longer delay is january 10th of next year right obviously they can approve it anytime before that but that's the actual date where they have to say yes or no, there's no more delays. I think on August 13th, what we're going to get is we're going to get a delay, right? Yeah. So any type of kind of spot ETF, I don't think we're going to see until uh, next year. The futures is a little bit different. Um, so, you know, maybe we will see that. Uh, but if we, you know, it'll be a good thing, right? Because like, if we get that, then it opens up the door just like it did for the futures Bitcoin ETF. It opened the door to the spot ETF. If you get a futures ETH1, it's going to open up for the spot one, and then you can bring in XRP and some of the other digital assets. Johnny, uh, I'm not sure if you had any additional comments. If not, we can play this video. 
Well, I was going to say the other key date is, uh, so there's two key dates. You got the 13th, which is the ARC investment deadline. That'll be their second deadline. And then the key date to look for is September 2nd. That is the BlackRock ETF first deadline. But there's also a bunch of other deadlines due that same day. So the question is, does BlackRock get declined or do they get, you know, pushed off to a second deadline? Um, I know they have anywhere between 45 days and 240 days, I think, to approve this, as Gonzo said. To me, it would make sense that we see something happening somewhere closer to the January timeframe, which is very, very, very close to the next halving. If you think from a timing perspective, what, what, you know, what way to catapult and launch Bitcoin than starting with an approval of the BTF, uh, the, the, sorry, the, the BTC ETF spot. Yeah, spot ETF in January. And then, of course, you got the halving coming in April. Like, oh, my God, talk about two catalysts to really drive this thing, Abs. To me, that would make sense. However, to me, it'll be interesting to see if they decline BlackRock the first time and what happens. So I'm keeping an eye specifically on that September 2nd date. And this is a video all of our listeners should be aware of because a conversation Bitcoiners are not having is who is Satoshi Nakamoto? And we've covered this on many times on our channel. The NSA or Homeland Security interviewed the four Satoshis in California back in 2016, sorry, 2014. But it's guys like Mike Novengratz that continue to play dumb. They act as if they don't know this information. And they even go as far as to say, if we knew who Satoshi is, everything would change. Here's the latest clip. Can you tell us who the inventor of Bitcoin is? Well, Satoshi Nakamoto is, is, the, Who is that? the inventor. Nobody knows. And I, quite frankly, I think if we knew, Bitcoin might not be where it is. Like what gives something value isn't the technology. It's the social construct. You say it's valuable. I say it's valuable. Therefore, it's valuable. And I think if we knew who the inventor of Bitcoin was, we'd be a little more skeptical of saying, ah, I'm going to buy into this as a place I store my value. Like, so, Jenna, if you did find out with definitive proof that the CIA created Bitcoin, how would that change your perspective, Floor George? Um, honestly, like, I think either CIA or NSA. Um, I definitely believe it was not Craig Wright, although he loves to, you know, think that he is the self-proclaimed Satoshi. But I would still probably eventually buy it after I make my gains and use it as a store of value. It's what it was meant for. I mean, at this point in the game, I don't think anything changes. Um, but it's obviously something to be aware of because we know that they can take your bitcoin now i mean they have for people that don't pay their taxes and everything like that it can still be seized so would it make a huge difference for me no not really i just think that the adoption of it is going to be way too crazy like this is going to be a monster i 100 believe that gonzo i do want to get your thoughts what number one what are the chances that that the nsa actually tracks satoshi down from your perspective and then i have a follow-up um, yeah, it's it's totally possible when you when you look at how it was created, uh, and it's funny when they always like say like people act like it's a conspiracy that more than one person created it. Uh, of course, more than one person created it. Like you can look at the message boards when Satoshi like reached out to the original cyberpunks, they they all added value to the code, right? They were they would put it on the message board, and there would be a certain problem, and then they would all attack it. Um, what's his name? Um, uh, Horowitz, right? Yeah. He was one of the developers, right? So yeah, yeah. So like, there was a lot of people that, that were around that day that added to the code. So yeah, it's totally uh, feasible that the, the CIA, NSA, or whoever tracked them down because you, you think about like the technology back then and they were using message boards to communicate and post everything. Everything's open source. Everything was out there. So yeah, it's very feasible. Um, do I think that it changes anything. I think knowing back then or years ago, before it was established, before Bitcoin had all of its issues and it had its own regulatory fight, right? Like uh, the whole bit license thing that happened in New York City, that was an attack that it had to survive. That was its regulatory kind of clarity whole whole issue that they had. I think now it's too big, right? I, I think it, it, it's it's going to become what it's meant to be, which is a store of value. But I think if something like that would have been released some years ago before it was very established, um, I, I think there was a possibility that it, it could have uh, gone to zero. But I, I think that day is now uh, long gone. Abs, I think it would be extremely, and everybody's going to disagree with me, but that's okay. But I think it would be extremely bullish for it if, if we found out the government created it because most people, 
trust the government. And so most people are going to say, hey, you know what? Government created. Government also, government's running the dollar. Government's running everything, right? So they're going to look at it and they're going to say, okay, yeah, what's, what's wrong with it? Government created, it's fine. I personally think that's what majority of people would say, would believe. And I, I, don't, I don't think it would be a bad thing. I'm not saying I don't think it's bad. I think people would think it's not a bad thing if they thought the government created something because people trust and rely on the government. So to me, I think you would actually see the bulk of the, I think you'd actually see Bitcoin go up in value because people are like, oh, now we know who created it. It was a government. So that's my two cents. I could be wrong on my eight cents, but I Does actually, it qualify as a security if we know who Satoshi is? Not if it's not an entity. No, doesn't matter. It has to be an entity. It has to be a company. It has to be a corporation. And they have to be running it. And not only that, Abs, remember the Howie test. It's not just one prong. There's four prongs. The second thing is they have to be promising a return. Who the hell has been promising a return on BTC for the past? Has anybody? Michael Maybe? Saylor. No, Michael Saylor. Get the hell out of Michael Saylor. Like, it's got nothing to do with it. He doesn't even know. Okay. No, but you're right. He has been actually saying it, but he, no, that has nothing to do with it. No, there's no, there's nothing there in terms of there being some entity that there's to go after, even if we knew who the four people were. Because again, they weren't out there. They weren't promoting it. They weren't pushing it. They weren't promising a return. None of those elements exist. That's why Bitcoin is not even considered up for discussion on whether it's a security or not, because none of those elements exist based on security law. And this is what we're going to close out today's episode with, guys. We got 350 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And yesterday, PayPal launched their own stablecoin called PayPal USD. And this has sparked debates about the security and centralization of this new asset. Well, one of our favorites, David Schwartz, chimed in, and he actually supported what PayPal was doing. So PayPal announced the launch of its own stablecoin, PayPal USD, yesterday. This is a significant development and marks the company's most prominent step in cryptocurrency since its initial forte in 2020. It's expected to introduce the PYUSD, and this will further promote the use of crypto for mainstream adoption. Some in the cryptocurrency community raise concerns about the potential security issue, as there was a clause called asset protection where they could reportedly freeze and eliminate an individual's balance. So Gonzo, I'm coming to you here, but David Schwartz chimed in and he said that this is actually not, uh, not, should not be a concern for the average investor because the real value in this new product lies in the utility it provides. This is going to allow users greater flexibility in transferring assets without being solely dependent on traditional financial infrastructures. Now, one quick follow-up here before I kick it to you, Gonzo. Crypto Mason reported this morning, XLM tells PayPal they are ready when PayPal wants to put their stablecoin onto the Stellar Network. So this could just be one massive step in the right direction. But with just a couple of minutes, I'm kicking it to you and then uh, Jenna. Yeah, you know, a little bit of trivia on that. That stablecoin was originally supposed to be built on Solana. But with the FTX collapse and all the craziness, they moved over to Ethereum. I believe like it's a double-edged sword, right? Because you thought you talk about PayPal. I want to say the statistic is about 50% of all online transactions are flowing through PayPal. So as far as like bringing new users on, the amount of, of it's in the it's in the tens of millions of users, tens of millions of of companies and businesses that use PayPal. So it's just bringing kind of that network effect and the exposure. Would I personally use it? No, it makes me nervous. Right, the whole like that you can freeze and delete. You know, it's a straight up like CBDC, right? And they're going to they're going to upload these onto exchanges. You're going to have uh, PayPal's. Um, stablecoin on exchanges that you can trade, right? You're going to be able to trade your crypto in and out and, and they're going to make it so that you can move it freely through the system. But um, just, you know, know what you're getting into. Know that, you know, it's like anything else. They can control it, right? They can delete your money. They can freeze your money. But when you look at, and I think what David Schwartz is, is leaning into is that when you look at outside of the US, when you talk about like, banking the bankless, where you have people like it's in Central America, you know, we talk a lot about this on Hablando Crypto, is that they use a lot of stable coins down there because people don't have bank accounts because they don't have identities. So they trust stable coins. They use a lot of stable coins. So you can see this uh, um, where it's something that they're going to use, right? They're going to be able to participate in the financial system. That is the whole narrative about it, around it. Jenna, do you have any concerns about what they're calling a centralized attack vector with this new stablecoin? It's obviously built on top of Ethereum, but like you can see, we are going to move to better technologies in the years to come, and Stellar is definitely a better product 
when creating a stable coin. So overall, how do you feel about this news? And do you think it's an attack vector on the holders of the stable coin? Attack vector? No. Um, I mean, think about it now. If they want to close your PayPal account, they can. Like, they can shut that down, take your money. They can do whatever they want anytime. I don't like PayPal. I'm not a fan of it. I only use it if I absolutely have to. So I would only use this cryptocurrency, you know, the stable coin, if I absolutely had to for something. But I'm pretty confident that I probably won't need to very often. But now, do I trust it? Absolutely not. But it's the same thing as using your bank, using PayPal right now. It's just, you know, they have control over all of that. Johnny Crypto, and we'll close this episode out with some great information for our listeners here. First of all, we got 354 people joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button and look at this article. The financial institutions standing on thin ice must pivot before it's too late. This is from Finastra's website, which is focused on digital payments. There is three big names on here. We got MasterCard, Swift GPI, Visa, and who else? Ripple sitting at the center, guys. And I think that's just a little glimpse into the future. But we got to close this episode out because we are at 59 minutes. I'd like to thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Johnny. Thank you to Gonzo. And thank you to Jenna X as well. We got 360 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we'll see you guys in 23 hours. Like we always say, Warriors, ride. Let's get together, baby. Thanks for joining. Let's go. Let's go.